Hello and welcome to Who Are You? This is the Babylon 5 Watchcast, hosted by two former strangers, now friends, who've gotten to know each other while rewatching a favorite show from their childhood, Babylon 5. I'm Jafar. And I'm Laura. And we're going to talk about some alignments today. Yeah. So we've done alignments before. We did some of the ambassadors. Mm-hmm. We've done some of the command staff. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about the assistants, the attaches. Yeah. That's a nice word. I forgot the word attache. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I know it because in other news, my box of Shattered Dreams Babylon 5 trading cards got here today. Mine arrived yesterday. Nice. And yeah. as I always do when I get a fresh box of cards, I crack you a couple open packs. Some. <laughs> yeah, I just crack a couple packs. Like I uh, I put them all back in and then I mix them into the box and I don't know when I'll get them in when we do our game you know right but it's just like i have to indulge myself it's like it's pure nostalgia in childhood to open up a pack of cards and i got a attache to a card for one so for one of these that we're going to talk about today or just a well general actually no <laughs> interesting uh because we already talked about ivanova when we did the command staff, but she is oh. technically the assistant ambassador for humanity and the attache. Oh, she does fill in for that. Sheridan and Sinclair occasionally. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. And so in her role in the game, she has a card where that's the thing that she's doing. Okay, neat. Yeah. So shout out Ivanova. We covered her back in our episode season or season three, episode 16, when we did this segment the first time yeah yeah but she she is technically belongs on this list but uh why don't we start with probably the easiest one out of all of the characters we're going to talk about all together okay Lanier yeah Lanier is lawful good right is there anyone more lawful good than Lanier (laughs) yeah I mean he's Minbari I think Pretty much all of the Minbari, at least religious cast, right, is lawful good. <laughs> he's he's a monk Minbari. Like, he is yeah. the most lawful good of lawful good. That's how he lives his life. If he were a character in a D&D party, he would be a cleric, and other players would think he was lawful annoying. <laughs> I like that, yeah. Definitely. And then let's go to one of the hardest picks for me, straight okay. off that. Veer. Okay. Yeah. I struggled with this. Okay. Tell me your thought process. I ended up settling on neutral good. He's definitely not chaotic. He's bumbling, but Mm -hmm. he isn't chaotic by nature. He's chaotic by accident. Like, yeah, you are not. Okay. If you trip, fall and set off a Rube Goldberg machine of political nonsense, (laughs) <laughs> as Veers wants to do multiple times, this was not machination. This yeah. was pure happenstance. And that, I think, does not make for a chaotic person, even though chaos follows him around. Okay. I almost leaned a little more chaotic with Veer. And yeah. here's my thought. Okay. Because the whole Abraham O'Lincoln-y thing, mm-hmm. that was deliberately defying what the Centauri wanted, right? What the Centauri yes. society was doing. Which, by their standards, would be a little bit chaotic. (laughs) I would agree. But I also think the way that he was going about it was Mm -hmm. within their law structure. 
That's true. And so that's why I kind of lean towards neutral with with Veer. Yeah. Because he's not he's not afraid to break the law, but right. he also isn't like completely disregarding them. Yeah. He's not just like taking over a pirate ship and freeing Narns. He's going within the Yeah. Societal structure, faking and their deaths, them and out. having them be slaves to this person who doesn't exist, so that they get transferred off-world and then they can be free. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I agree that I love the idea of him being an agent of chaos in the bumbling sort of sense, <laughs> totally accidentally. That is, yeah, a hundred percent veer. <laughs> yeah, I struggled with good for him as well. Just because, I mean, he obviously he tries very hard to be good. He and tries he has a very good heart. Yes. Yes, but he is still like not entirely guilt free when it comes to the genocide of Narn. You know. Yeah. So there's uh, how where, how guilty he is and how guilty he feels about it. I guess is more important there. Yeah. And he does do everything he can to make it right. And so that's why I will give him the benefit of good. Yeah, uh, I I can't I can't argue neutral or evil for Veer for me. Like he's yeah. he's good. I have he's no a good, law good to boy. judge his crimes. So <laughs> yeah, no, I I I see the struggle with Veer for you. I think the one that was hardest for me to think about was Lita, and that's okay. just because we haven't seen that much of her yet. To me, yes. I wrote yeah. neutral good question mark. Uh-huh. She doesn't yeah. seem to be particularly lawful or chaotic mm-hmm. at this point. I, I I think that changes in season five. And I haven't seen enough of season five to really have a grasp on that. So Yeah. I think our yeah. leader right now is very go with the flow. People need me, I'm doing the thing, and I haven't had time to think about why I'm doing the thing. Mm-hmm. And also just like how much she was changed and manipulated by the Vorlons. I don't think she's kind of figured out who she is as a person yet. Yeah. After all of that and all of all after all of that has changed her. So it's hard to definitively say an alignment for her because I don't really think she has one at this point. I think she's mm-hmm. still figuring out who she is. Uh, but she wants to be good. She does want to be a good person. She does care about that. Yeah. She does care about helping people. Yeah, I I would say that I'd have to go with either neutral good or true neutral on her. Mm -hmm. Just because, A, I haven't seen that much. You're right. She does want to be good. Like, we saw that that part, at least in the Shadow War end here that we saw, you know. Yeah. Especially when she wanted to get rid of the Vorlon ambassador, who she works for. And obviously, she has very sympathetic feelings to... The Vorlons, because she came back there with like that whole religious experience feeling when she came back to Babylon 5, mm-hmm. you know. But she could see that what was happening was wrong and she wanted to do the good thing. So I, I don't know that she just seems definitely in the neutral territory to me because she can flex away from the rules and she clearly wants to be good, but we don't know enough about it yet we don't know enough about her and her whole deal (laughs) for sure and then our final assistant slash attache we have to talk about is natoth who did not get a ton of screen time uh Mm -hmm. but 
I will firmly place as true neutral. Okay. I think she cares about helping Jakar. She cares mm-hmm. about freeing Narn. Yeah. And she doesn't really give a shit about how she does those things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. Especially that, you know, she respects the rules of Babylon 5. But then, you know, when we see that the episode where someone comes on board that she has that life. I don't want to say life debt, but like. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's yeah, the, the, the blood oath, I think. Yeah, they call blood oath. I think life like... debt is Wookiees. That's right. That's why I didn't want to say it. <laughs> she has that like blood oath to like avenge her father or something. Yeah. And the the rules of Babylon 5 go out the window for her. Mm-hmm. Like she's got to take care of this other thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's operating that's from very... a place of convenience within those rules yeah. for sure. Yeah. So I would agree with you on that. Uh, although justice for Natoth, I wish that we had more time with her too, because when you only have that handful of episodes where she's even there, and then what one where she's central to the plot or yeah. important to the plot, like that's really hard to judge. Well, she's like Jakar's like fourth attache too. He yeah. runs through a handful in the first couple episodes. Yeah. So that doesn't help her chances of being on screen at all. Right. All right. Well, that's our uh, trip through the alignments of the assistants and attaches. Mm-hmm. We've got season four, episode eight, The Illusion of Truth. Yeah. Fuck this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so if, uh, and now for a word, was kind of like a nice little spoof on the Datelines and the 2020s. Yeah. And the front lines of the 90s, whatever, you know, I'm just 60 minutes, whatever, mm-hmm. from those news shows. This one is the Fox News, right? 100%. <laughs> Actually, in my notes, significantly later, I remark how astounding it is that our uh, narrator, Dan, something with an R. I don't know. Dan Randall. Dan Randall. Dan Randall how much he has the same cadence as Tucker Carlson. I was going to say, we should just call him Tucker for this episode. (laughs) I do a handful of times in my notes, but we have to get there because this episode doesn't start like that. This episode Mm -hmm. very much is not meant to feel like this is what's going to happen until it Mm -hmm. happens. It's it's designed that way. It's a normal episode. It's a normal episode for 20 minutes. And then the back 20 minutes is just this ISN special. Yeah. Okay. And it's really meant to lull you in to a false sense of security. So we open on an empty war room as Vanova and Sheridan talk. Sheridan is worried the war room might still be needed as unrest Mm -hmm. on Earth. But he says it in the weirdest fucking way. With all that's going on back home, maybe there's some life in the old girl yet. But it's the line, uh, there might be life in the old girl yet. (laughs) <laughs> you're talking about war sheridan mm-hmm. come on <laughs> like yeah it might be yeah, life in the it's... old girl yet talking about the war room yeah Don't... that's so fucking weird i guess it's that sort of sailors referring to their ships as women or whatever but yeah it's fucked it is weird this is so <laughs> fucked it's such a weird way to be like Oh, well, maybe we'll end up in another war really soon. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. 
He's also worrying about his dad a little yeah. bit in this He scene. is concerned about his parents, yes. After which Ivanova remarks that Zack is running a pretty tight ship because it's been a whole week since they've had an incident. And it, <laughs> it must be a Wednesday. Yeah. Although, actually, I checked on Lurker's Guide and it had the date on this one airing on a Monday, but everywhere else said Wednesday, so I don't know. Well, we can see in this next scene that Zack definitely learned well from Garibaldi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's like handling an incident at Space Customs where they were refusing to let him check the grates. What's in the box? Zack forces the issue and finds recording equipment. Surprise, you're on the evening news. And we get Zack doing what I can only describe as his best Homer Simpson to theme. <laughs> it's too bad that that gif is a silent gif, right? <laughs> Can't really drop it, I don't think. Yeah, um, We're just going to have to trust that everybody knows that one. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and say definitively, if Garibaldi is Daffy Duck, Zack Allen is Homer Simpson, and I will not be taking notes. Yeah. I, I enjoy that, yes. Yeah, Zach clearly learned well from Garibaldi's antagonistic uh, school of security because yeah. he really pushes this guy and not even thinking about how it might affect him if this was an important person. Or a bomb in there! It's a bomb! He shoots the, oh. he shoots the crate! That is an excellent point. <laughs> They even bring up it might be explosives. <laughs> it's wow, like said yeah. in the scene. And what if it's like that stuff, you know, there's supposed to be some some material that like is resistant to the PPG blast. And what if it's like ricocheting around the room? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Everyone is happy with Zach's performance except us, I think. Yeah. We're back from theme, and Franklin and Sheridan do a little West Winging about the telepaths in Cairo. Mm -hmm. uh, did you see who uh, who directed this episode? Did I did. That? I was so excited. This is Stephen First. And it's his first. Is it? Okay. <laughs> this is his television directorial debut, and Aww. also his first, like, director's whatever. I think, I don't know if their guild is DAG or or whatever yeah. whatever their their dga the or something whatever their union is it's his first opportunity for that kind of credit oh everything before this that he had directed was like student film stuff or private stuff that was not okay. a real production as it were yeah so. i when i saw that directorial credit at the bottom i was like i hope i haven't missed one before this you know <laughs> nope he does two this season and one in okay. season five well and excellent then after Babylon 5 opened a production studio and made a ton of B-movies. <laughs> yeah, I nice to see them going with that grand, you know, Star Trek tradition of letting the actors come in and do a little bit of directing. Yeah. That's nice. Sheridan meets with our reporter and jokes that reporters are worse than genociding planet mass murderers. As he goes on to meet Dan Randall from ISN News. I had always thought the N in ISN was news. Oh, yeah. No, I thought it was network. <laughs> it is network. And it's reaffirmed a bunch of times this episode. And it probably was reaffirmed a bunch of times earlier, too. 
it was probably was reaffirmed in uh and now for a word and i just yeah. either forgot that and noticed it again and it's a cruel trick my brain is playing on me or <laughs> i just never noticed or cared I couldn't tell you what actual news networks initials stand for, but I remembered ISN. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them have news. I feel like CNN is cable news network. Yeah. That seems right. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> hmm. Anyways, yeah. uh, do you think that Dan Randall's name was specifically picked to invoke Dan Rather? Oh, now that you say it. Maybe. Like, this is know. well before CBS pushed him in front of the bus for that thing. On That was when George Bush was president in, like, 2005 or six. I'd have to Google it. Yeah. Um, this was still, like, the height of yeah. that yeah, popularity. He, yeah, he was still the dude who was the face of the news for many, yeah. many people. Surely there's, yeah. It's too close to be a coincidence, and I think that's supposed to... That plus his speech here about, you know, sticking around to get a nugget of the truth through to the people. I mean, we've seen this show, so we know how this episode goes. Yeah. I remembered very vividly how this episode goes before I started yeah. it up. But I think it's part of the trap for the first time viewer. If you're in that 1996 mindset. Yeah. We trust this guy because he sounds kind of like our guy. Yeah. Yeah. One of those little <laughs> minor implicit bias things to mm -hmm. lull you into a false sense of security that might be lost on an international audience who don't know who Dan Rather is, or for anyone who is younger than us, really, yeah. really I'd say any younger than us probably right. might not, I wouldn't expect to have casual experience with Dan Rather because he was taken off the main news broadcasts in the early 2000s, you know, almost 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, unless you very specifically remember his reporting from 9-11, that might be the only memory you have of him. Yeah. If you're any younger than we are. So, yeah. 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 yeah he's working for the propaganda machine, but he, he claims that he is trying to reveal some truth and he, he stayed on. Mm-hmm after the takeover to try and make things better. Yeah. He does give a little bit of sass about, you know, having to search his stuff. And I'm just like, there are multiple embassies and ambassadors on this space station. Why is this even a question for you, dude? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's customs for a reason, right? Yeah. Everybody goes through customs. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Dan Randall turns on that Randall flag charm. No such thing as a objective journalist. There are, there are griffins and honest politicians, too. He tells him he fought for this assignment to be able to tell a little bit of truth behind the propaganda machine's notice. Yeah. Just, mm -hmm. I I don't know. I don't know if I don't trust this guy because he's a, a smug asshole. Yeah. Uh, if my paladin detect evil is going off and I just uh -huh. don't trust this guy because of that. Or if I just He has a very punchable face. He has an incredibly punchable face. As a pacifist, yeah. he has an incredibly punchable <laughs> face. <laughs> After this, Garibaldi meets with someone looking for a statue, and he's like, fuck you, dude, don't lie to me. You want this for some shady shit? I want 20%. Yeah, I thought it was very funny that now, apparently, Garibaldi is culturally sensitive to the religions of other races. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, for a dude who made some comments that he made back in season one. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Suddenly it's convenient for his character to <laughs> know these things. Yeah, when it makes him a buck, he can understand. Mm-hmm. And when he pokes his head around and sits down with Alfredo, he doesn't understand Garibaldi's resi- resignation. Like, on a very cultural level, he just doesn't get it. Yeah. Yeah, this is very honest. This, you know, it feels a little more honest than some of the command staff being confused by it, you know? Yeah. He's just like... There's no limit on serving the greater good. The greater good. Garibaldi drops a speak of the devil as Sheridan walks in and asks Lanier to give Dan the tour since Mimbari can't lie. Tense looks between Sheridan and Garibaldi with no words. Yeah. This is a stupid move, right? To have Lanier give this tour. <laughs> like, we already know that this propaganda machine is turning out anti-alien sentiment. True. Is giving the tour to a member of a race that we were not that long ago at war with. Is this a good idea? It's not a good idea, right? No, you might say it's a bonehead idea. <laughs> we hit the propaganda broadcast part of this episode, and I stop having jokes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I just start getting angry. So I'm just getting them all in this first half. Ugh. In an elevator, Lanier notes the ships repairing outside of the station were damaged in the Shadow War, as a camera keeps hitting him in the head. There's a guy in the back of this elevator that has a thing that has a little antenna on it. He is controlling those things. They are not autonomous. That is in JMS's notes. Yeah, I was like, that guy's doing that on purpose. He's doing it on purpose. That's horrible. Pause for a question. All right. How much do we think Earth actually knows about the Shadow War? Well, we know that there were shadow advisors to Clark and that they've been manipulating him and that they've peaced. Right. But I'm saying like the Earth population, like not Earth government. Oh, the Earth population, nothing. Yeah. So those ships could be anything to everyone else. And that's how they're displayed, too. They don't talk about... You know, they talk about their recent military actions in the propaganda broadcasts and stuff. Yeah. They don't talk about, you know, they don't call them the Army of Light or anything. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Although that's probably pretty damning in the broadcast, too, if you were to... The Army of Light's coming to get you yes. guys. Uh, yeah. So they get off the elevator, and Lanier headbutts the camera. And if you look in the background, you can actually see the camera gets left behind in the elevator. The door shuts on it before it can get out. Yeah, what do you do now, Mr. RC guy? How are you going to get that back? (laughs) He's got two. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. They run into Franklin, and the camera catches him talking about the the cryo units. Uh, The camera then catches Lando and Sheridan in a playful argument. And then we're over to Sheridan and Delenn getting interviewed. This is bad. This is bad, right? This is so... <laughs> Sheridan confirms a desire to return to Earth. They just need to bring back democracy and get rid of their dictator. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan digs into the relationship. And uh, he's all like, so this whole uh, enemy to lovers trope. And 
Delenn is just like, the heart wants what the heart wants. And then they go on to say some shit that surely won't be taken out of context. Right. <laughs> why? It just, even if you trust this dude, why would you say those things? Mm-hmm. Just from the second the scene opens up and you see the two of them with the reporter, it's like, no, don't do that. Don't do just this. like you shouldn't have given the tour to the Minbari, you should not have done this interview together. For sure. There's no world. Even even if things were not as, you know, aggressive with Earth as they are starting to become, you shouldn't do this together. I can't help but wonder if this visit is why Garibaldi was activated. Because we know this visit is coming. Yeah. Uh, like, like, uh, like Bester had a heads up on it? or Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously there's the other stuff that's happened that would make sense for Garibaldi to be activated to kind of get him out of the picture when Bester comes mm-hmm. on board. And that is convenient. But, like, does this happen if Garibaldi is chief of security? Like, does Garibaldi let these guys pass the airlock? Yeah. Yeah. I think he just pushes them back on a ship. <laughs> turn around you know if if sheridan is sitting there like okay we're gonna meet it with him at this time and it's gonna be me and delenn garibaldi's going no 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 yeah <laughs> good questions <sighs> anyways uh dan sits down with garibaldi who gets a chance to talk about whatever we'll see that at the end of the episode mm-hmm. and then ivanova and sheridan sit down as delenn walks in and they're like we tried really hard so that we couldn't be taken out of context I laughed out loud. Yeah. That is such bullshit. Such incredible, incredible bullshit. They don't live in the YouTube age (laughs) where anybody and everybody can just slice and dice whatever they want and to say whatever they want. Right. There's let alone deep fakes. Right. There's a musical artist that I listen to on YouTube that does mashups and one of like his very incredible things that he's been doing for well before deep fake could help him do this. And I'm sure he uses it now because it's way easier, but he would like get like, if he's mashing up in Elton John song with, I don't know, some night, the B 52s, right. Whatever he's doing, mm-hmm. he will get Elton John. He'll take other Elton John songs take out the vocals, isolate them, change the pitches, and make it so that Elton John is singing the words to the B-52 song. Wow. Like, (laughs) shit like that. That's DJ Cumberbund, y'all, on YouTube. And uh, and the TikTok. It's incredibly talented. The more, like, if you're just a fan of music and you know the two songs, you'll listen to it go, oh, that's fun. If you understand music production and, like, how music is made and stuff, there are layers. He dude is a fucking onion. You just keep peeling back layers, finding more shit every time you listen to it. In- insanely talented. That's fun. I like that. For a dude who uses Mean Gene Okerlund and the Macho Man Randy Savage in like every song, you're like, oh, what is it? <laughs> it's like, no, trust me, this guy is incredibly talented. <laughs> All right, we'll check it out. <laughs> After this, we cut over to our ISN news report. Yeah, so we've really, (laughs) if you think about it, this episode, our main characters really only had to film half an episode, right? Yeah. (laughs) 
we get half an episode of material and then we get a little bit of newsy stuff and then recycle the same stuff. We just watch the episode again. Yep. <laughs> so that's I mean, that's a fun storytelling device, but yeah, do tell us how it goes. We start on a report that they've retaken New Vegas on Mars and that hours oh. extended two hours to celebrate. You can stay outside till 9 p.m., people. Oh, so generous. Right? In Vegas. I mean, it can does. Can you imagine? It does have me excited about STLV, just mentioning yeah. Vegas right now. I'm just like, soon. <laughs> <laughs> We get the Senate Committee on Unearth Activities showing a clearly uninfluenced confession. Yeah. So all of the names here are references to actual Hollywood writers, producers, and actors that were blacklisted by the House and American Activities Commission, HUAC. Um, yeah, okay. this is all very much on purpose. The framing of this shot matches mm-hmm. a confession that was filmed for it and everything. Like, this is straight up. I hope everyone in America still gets taught this shit in school. It seems like the kind yeah. of thing that they don't anymore. And mm-hmm. that's fucking tragic. I don't think it was in my school books. I think I just had a history teacher who was all like, you need to learn this shit. And that it's ridiculous that it's not in the history books. So we're talking about it. Yeah, I think it was mentioned in, in our history classes some. It, certainly, we never saw the videos like you discussed. And I will actually want to say the place that we talked about it most was in English class. Really? When we did the Crucible. Ah, Be- yeah. Yeah, the unit on the Crucible was, you know, that was written as kind of a reaction to that, talking about the witch hunts. Well, it's yeah, it's an allegory for the other witch hunts that were happening. Yeah, if but you are, we certainly never watched Confessions. If you're unfamiliar with HUAC, you might also know this under its other names as a portion of American history, which is McCarthyism or the Red Scare. Right. Um, so if this was something that you didn't learn about in school, I'm sorry that public education in this country failed you. But you should. Or your private education or your failed pri- you. I could see some yeah. private education not covering it. For sure. It's definitely worth, at the very least, reading about. If nothing mm-hmm. else, I'd highly recommend. And then all of our international listeners as well. I don't expect yeah. you to get that in your school, but. Sure. You know. But it's it's important to the plot of this show. Yes. For certain. Yeah, it definitely will frame how a lot of this episode goes in the context. Because, I mean, you got to remember JMS was in Hollywood in the 80s. The eldest of his peers had lived through this shit. You know, people that he had worked with had gone through these things. He had firsthand stories that he was being told about this yeah. about this shit happening in Hollywood. And so this is something that was very much impactful for him. It's probably in Becoming Superman, which I really need to fucking read. Yeah. It seems like, you know, we see Harlan Ellison as a consultant a lot. Yes. It seems like he might have been old enough to have encountered I would think so. some of that. Yeah. We get some on this day. The first one tells mm-hmm. us that this is April 12th, if you were wondering. Yeah. Um, we've already missed the 1999 Commission on the Future. That didn't happen. Oh, damn. And then everyone <laughs> remembers five years ago when we got the Lunar Colony founded. They didn't have to yeah. worry about COVID. <laughs> Man, that's that's always a chuckle. <laughs> uh, 
so depressing. I love the optimism of sci-fi writers thinking that we would be farther than we are now. You know, it's not their fault for being optimists. No. Mm -mm. After this, we start the report, and it is just the worst view possible. All humans are kept in down below unless they serve aliens. Sheridan is being bossed around by everyone. Anyone who questions this is taken away and put in cryo storage. They keep going back to interviews with this Harvard professor in psychology. Who's just another punchable face. Yeah. He's just so derivative and such bullshit. We get the cryo units bit as we lead out to commercial. There were no fake commercials in this one. Yeah, that's too bad. That would have lightened the tone a little bit. Maybe, maybe, maybe. you can't lighten the tone at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting that in Down Below, you know, this is where all the humans are forced to live and slaves and enslaved on whatever. And if you look at that scene, there's a lot of aliens in there, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's about being shown one thing and told what it means, and you don't question what you're being told. Right. That's right. how this works. Uh, we get some conspiracy theory bullshit about the weapons upgrade in season two. And how their tax dollars are fixing alien warships to come attack them. I was like, what tax dollars are still coming to Babylon 5 at this point? None. For a long time. Right? <laughs> I am absolutely convinced this episode is how Tucker Carlson has modeled his news broadcasts. I don't know if you've ever watched his show. No. <laughs> uh, a if I'm ever in a place you. where it's on and, you know, because like. You could be at a doctor's office or something, and it's just on. Yeah. I am dissociating so hard. <laughs> I have, as I've talked about, conservative, very conservative family members. Mm -hmm. And so it has been unavoidable for me. Yeah. Um, but I do find it interesting to watch. Um, not, yeah. Not in a, this is the news and I'm learning things kind of way. But, no, like a clinically interesting. Yes, yes. Like, as a third party, watching people that I know react to the things that are being said on the television, that is interesting to me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but not in any good way. <laughs> right. We cut over to Delenn and Sheridan's butchered interview. We've got recuts of their answers. We've got an entirely different set of questions being asked. Even yeah. if you look at Dan, he's like in a different room asking yes. these questions. I noticed that like his his background is totally wrong. Yeah, the lighting's <laughs> way off. He's in a different place. There's a wall yeah. that doesn't exist and stuff and just mm -hmm. Yep. And then we get Garibaldi's interview, which I'm sure made all of his future employers happy. And by that I mean the actors' future employers and conservative media. Right. <laughs> we then cut over to the cryo units that uh, all have humans. Oh, no. The first tube they show us is Bester's girlfriend. Yeah, I like how we just show their names. Like, Yeah. Did you catch the second name on the cryo tube there? I, I saw that we could see it, but I didn't catch what it was. I don't remember. It is John Flynn, who is regular director and occasional actor on the show. Oh, fun. Uh, he's the guy that Lanier faked out at Space TSA that one time. Oh, yes. Yes, I remember him. Yes. What fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Back from commercial again, Dr. Franklin denies the cryo usage, and our psychiatrist at 
Harvard warns of the most dangerous cases of Mimbari War syndrome. Yeah. I don't like to make long distance diagnoses, but here's a long distance diagnosis. Yeah. But I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. <laughs> Sheridan is unstable. He has a war fleet and all of the aliens are going to gang up on us and also turn us all into Mimbari. And also we killed his parents and he's finding out right now. Yeah. And then he says, our job is to report the news, not make it or guide it. Fair and balanced. <laughs> the last shot is them just walking away as Sheridan angrily turns off the broadcast. <sighs> we made it. We made I just, it. We ran through 20 minutes at the end of this episode, but we well, made it. Well, to be it. fair, a lot of it is recycled footage. We just needed to update how it was interpreted in the show. Yeah, very much so. All right, Laura, I gotta ask, because we, we decided we were going to do this every time. <laughs> On a scale of Babylon 1 to 5, how do you feel about this episode? I'm trying to remember if I have given out a fuck this episode yet. <laughs> have I? I don't believe so. I, I'm you thinking have. I have it, but I don't know. There, there might be one. If I have, there's got to be just one, right? Yeah. Maybe somebody will remember one of the listeners, yeah, but maybe come I'm definitely, or something. yeah. Yeah. I'm definitely giving this one the fuck this episode. <laughs> I, I have to give it a five out of five, but also fuck this episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm giving it the fuck this episode for the same reason. Like yeah. it's very effective at what it does. Actually, when I was looking at the title and we were getting ready to watch it, I told Aaron, I was like, I'm pretty sure I hate this episode. Yeah. Pretty sure I don't like it. <laughs> uh, this episode, at least for a while, was used in some film school programs. Yeah? Yeah. Like, this episode is a beautiful example of what someone with poor intent can do with video footage. Uh -huh. this, it's only gotten worse. And it's only, and it's only going to get worse as a society. Like... Mm -hmm as deep fake gets stronger and better. Mm -hmm. um, there's actually was a episode of Orville season three, where that was a plot point where uh, deep fake in a political campaign is just like part of the culture where it's yeah. just like you regularly oh, no. see like footage of your presidential candidates, like killing babies and stuff that they oh put out God. there. Like, yeah, just terrible shit. Just outright. Lying Did you see any deep fakes in this last, like, election cycle did did any come across your no i definitely I, saw i at stay least away from one... all of that i well you know i've got my my we all have those conservative family members yes. right i had some in my social media that i happened to see sharing a deep fake or two and i was just my mind was just blown because i could still tell you know i mean yeah obviously like i'm sitting here going no this person did not do that like Mm -hmm. that would be real news and you know yeah but you can you also find see out about there's it on little... facebook yeah yeah but there's still little tells that there's like something wrong with the video mm -hmm. but some people really don't see it or they're willfully blind to it because of oh, yeah. how they want to feel oh yeah i mean i've heard ridiculous fucking news stories that it's just like did you did you do any research did you did you look at anything 
but after after two years of Trump as president, I severely cut down on all of my news sources for my mental health, which is totally coming from a place of privilege, for sure. The, the yeah. fact that I could afford to do that. And it's not that, like I ignore the news or I am apolitical. I don't think anyone who's listened to more than one episode of this podcast would attempt <laughs> sure. to describe me as apolitical. I am incredibly right. <laughs> political, but I don't do that on Facebook. My Facebook is like travel photos and happy birthdays. That's what Facebook is to mm. me. Outside of a chat client, which is its main function. I use Messenger mm -hmm. more than anything else. But anyone who would be posting things like that, I either don't see it because I don't maintain that those kind of people on my Facebook or there are people in my life who don't have Facebook who would be posting that. Yeah. But also just like I have segmented a chunk of my life off from politics for my own personal sanity. Yeah. Uh, because once again, to the surprise of no one who's listening to this podcast, I have very strong feelings about a lot of things. <laughs> and if I don't separate that, then I am not a happy person. I can, yeah. I can not. I totally empathize that. with that. So, yeah. No, so I didn't see, I don't recall seeing any deep fakes or anything like that. I've heard, I've, you know, I've been at family dinners and gotten the bullshit stories and been all like, oh, Pizzagate? Okay, well, who'd you hear that from? And as I've said on this podcast before, my dad, despite yeah. his uh, fall into the conservative news vacuum uh, later in life, always said one thing to me when I was a kid that he never seemed to really hear. And that's if one person is telling you that everyone else is lying to you, they are mm -hmm. the person that is lying to you. Yeah. Right. If, if someone is yeah. telling you they are the only source you can trust for information, that person is lying to you every single time, because the only reason anyone would ever say that is to not get you to listen to other things. And the yeah. only purpose that will ever serve is to control, control the narrative. And that is always the, the channel and domain of lies. Yeah. So. Hmm. Fuck this episode. But yeah, it's, it was great. Yeah. I've, it is, it is a really beautiful example. And kudos to Stephen first for that, for this being his first outing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I know that obviously Jane Michael Straczynski has like designed the structure and everything. Yeah. He's very famously like, uncompromising on so much of the stuff mm -hmm. in his episodes yeah even but putting these pieces together yeah. the way that they have been put together i think that steven deserves some credit for that for sure and i think he did did great what a fantastic way to like start out your whole directorial career as you've mentioned yeah so good for him but yes it, it is beautiful in a very sad sort of way yeah <laughs> and fuck this episode <laughs> All right. Well, that's... What about the that. next one? We've got season four, episode nine, Atonement. Hmm. Delenn's clan has doubts about her taking Sheridan as a mate, so she travels to Minbar. While defending her love for Sheridan to the Minbaris, Delenn might be forced to expose an astounding secret. Oh, no. What more astounding secrets could we have? <laughs> I I think we know this astounding secret. I, I haven't watched this one in okay. a couple of years, but I believe that this was revealed to us long ago. 
I will not. So this is the one that we already. Yeah, we, know, this is we this is one okay. about a certain historical figure who might not be as historical. Yes. Yes. So we we know the secret. Yes. But maybe think. the rest. Uh, of I could be wrong. I could be remembering the wrong thing. But I do yeah. think that this is where that comes back to the Mimbari people. Yeah. And the fact that we're having this episode where she's going to have to justify her relationship to the Minbari people as well just like highlights for me how misguided it was to do an interview together. Right. For the humans. Like, you know that for both of your peoples, this is kind of a kind of a problem. Like mm-hmm. maybe now's not the time to do that interview, but what do we know? Well, I know that we got to say thanks to Jeremy Siegel. Indeed. For our lovely theme music. Thank you so much, my Facebook friend, Jeremy Siegel. <laughs> uh, you can find more of Jeremy's work at jeremysiegel42.bandcamp.com and on all of your favorite streaming music sites as Nuclear Jaguar. Nuclear Jaguar. <laughs> he, he posted a thing the other day about how he chose the name because there's like 40 different ways you can pronounce it. So I think yes, I'm going to start I making a, a laugh. of those different yeah. names, uh, those <laughs> different pronunciations, rather. Yeah. And thank you to Angry Duck Time Machine on Instagram for our podcast artwork. Thanks, Aaron, for editing this podcast and making sure that it gets released on a regular cadence. Mm-hmm. Without you, we would be floundering in the dark. For sure. <laughs> and thank you to you, the listener. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. If you want to talk to us other times, you can uh, get on our Discord. Mm-hmm. Fun place to be there. You can always email us at whoareyoub5 at gmail.com. I'm almost done with Tears of the Kingdom, so I'll have a like presence again soon. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's not my fault. One of the greatest games ever just got dropped, all right? It's fantastic. Yeah. I put like 90 hours in that bitch. I'm still not done. Wow. It's so That's good. a lot. Very nice. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, Internet. All right. Bye. Bye.